All right, Psalm 1 is where we're at. If you want to open up your Bible, that's where we're going to be. California Christians are excited because as of January 1st, 2018, recreational Bible reading is legal. So we can read all we want in this season. It's legal, it's open, uh, so we can just do it wherever we want. You know, we're excited to take advantage of the freedom that we have to do this. And so I thought it'd be a good time on this Sunday as we start the year just to kind of zero in and focus on Bible reading. We have a saying in our house. I don't think anyone else says it actually except for me. If my kids hear this, if they hear Bible time, Bible time means something in our house. It means that we're going to stop what we're doing. We're going to gather in some room and we're going to all sit down and have some family devotion time. Uh, So oftentimes, well, it really, it really sends a wide variety of reactions in our home. On the really positive end, from dad's perspective, sometimes kids go scurrying off and they get their different Bibles. One of our daughters was given from one of our international students a Bible that has the Chinese language on one side and the English on the next, and so she'll get that Bible. And my son has a Bible that I can no longer read. It's tiny, and it's in the King James, so it sounds like we're from hundreds of years ago. And He'll get that Bible, and others will get their Kindle, and this and that, and, and we'll gather and be ready to participate. That's on the good end. On the negative end, we hear, oh, man, do we have to? And all kinds of manner of pullback. Yes, even in a pastor's home. Can you believe it? Shocking. And everything in between. And here's what I know about Bible time. Bible time is not necessarily... Fun. Bible time is not necessarily comfortable. Bible time is not necessarily easy or appreciated. But here's what I know about Bible time. Bible time is always good. It's always good. And here's the truth of it. When I say Bible time to my family and I get those different reactions, truth be told, your pastor has the same reactions. I discipline myself to read the Bible, and there are times I scurry off, get my Bible. I cannot wait. I am hungry to sit down and hear from God. There are other times where I go, oh, do I have to? And I don't want to sit, because I know it won't be easy. I know it's not convenient in that moment. It doesn't feel comfortable. In fact, it's disrupting something else that in the moment I feel like I'm doing. The reason I continue to instill Bible time in my house, the reason I continue to instill Bible time in my life, even when I don't choose to, is because I'm utterly convinced it's profitable. I'm just convinced that it's profitable and worth it. And so I keep doing it. And with each year that goes by, I become more and more convinced. The tagline this morning is giving relentless attention to what matters most. I give relentless attention to Bible time in my life. And I do it because I'm convinced it's it's what matters most. When I talk to other people, you know what? I sometimes tell them to go to church. I sometimes steer them in other directions. But if I am talking to someone and they're either a non-Christian or a nominal Christian or a backslidden Christian or a Christian not connected to a church family, more than anything else, I plead with them, would you please read your Bible? I want them to read their Bible. Because whatever else I might tell them, the Bible will tell them directly from God, way better than I could tell them, go to church. 
Go get plugged into a church. You're not healthy because you're a Christian detached from your community. But instead of telling that, I just tell them, read your Bible. Do you have a Bible at home? And some of your funds that go to this church go to, Ben and I do this all the time, we give Bibles away. Someone pops in here asking for help. What's the best help I can give someone? Read your Bible. You don't have one? Here, take one. Take this Bible and read it. You know, we live by messages, don't we? We actually build our life by messages. This is true. This is false. This is beautiful. This is disgusting. Go this way. Go that way. And when you think about these messages that you build your life on, they come from different places. Some of the messages that you have come from within. It's self-talk that says this. You shouldn't do that. That's a message that's come from within. Maybe someone else initially told you that message, but it's something in you that says you shouldn't do that. You're about to do something else, and you're wrestling back and forth, and your internal message says this. You know, it doesn't really matter. Go for it. Those are messages that are actually steering your life. There's also external messages. You may have heard Jesus say this message, that if you want to find your life, you must give your life away. That's a message that's coming externally. It doesn't come from you. It's coming from somewhere else. You have external messages all the time. Who remembers this ad campaign? Obey your thirst. Right? I mean, just kind of a silly thing. But, but advertisements are messages. Obey your thirst is a, it's a pretty appealing message to the flesh. You know, it's not hard to kind of go with that. Go, yeah, that sounds true. So we build our life, we steer our life on messages, and those messages have results. Your life is bearing fruit on the messages that you are living by. So to answer this question, what is my future self going to be like? Here's what you ought to ask yourself today. Whose message am I living by? What are the messages that are shaping and forming my decisions, my values, what I do and don't do, kind of steering me in life. And when you answer the question, whose message are you living by, that will determine what you will be like in the future. These messages are nutrients that feed or poison your soul. And frankly, the results that messages produce in people, hear me, is not that mysterious. It's actually quite predictable. It's sort of predictable to just look at some things and say, you feed your soul or poison your soul with these inputs, this is the kind of life you will lead eventually. So when you work backward from people who have lived by this message, obey your thirst. That means you'll make choices, right? You will, you will live by that message to the exclusion of serving other people's needs and desires. Where does that leave you? Any shock that that leaves you with a broken family? Any shock that that leaves you isolated? Any shock that that leaves you kind of empty? I mean, we see this all the time. Predictable. It's not that mysterious. We don't look at that and go, how did that happen? But we don't often pause and go, whose message am I really living by? 
So I want you to just kind of have that in your brain um, as we turn to Psalm 1. If you're not in Psalm 1, turn there. We read this in Old English last night, so I'm excited to read it in words I understand better. I want you to look at the screen for one second. When you look at this tree on the screen, uh, this is a real question with real answers expected back. Um, what do you see? What do you see in that tree? The sunrise. Okay, what else? Person reading under the tree. Okay, what else? What about the tree itself? No fruits, strong leaves. What else? It's alive. Okay. What about this? What, what do you not see? Like, what is not visible to you, but you can surmise by looking at this tree? Like, make some inference now about that tree. It's green, okay, but, but we can see that it's green. Okay, probably a root system. Like, you could surmise that thing's got a crazy big root system to be holding that thing up, right? What else can you surmise about that tree? It's been watered. It looks, it looks like it's nurtured. It looks like it has nutrients and, and water coming. What else? It's been there a long time. There's a sense of stability to it that you see, and you don't know that. I mean, it could have been transplanted and put there yesterday, but it sure looks like it's established. It's been there a long time. How about this? Is that tree going down with every new wind that, that, that comes along? No. That thing's solid. Is that thing going to go down in most storms? Probably not. I mean, it looks pretty solid right there. When you look at a tree, I know there are exceptions, but when you look at a tree, you can look at it, and it's not mystifying to understand what's happening with that. I want you to listen to Psalm 1 and contemplate your own life. It says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its seasons, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like shaft that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Today, what I want to do is I want you to fall in love, or I want you to recapture your first love of delighting in the law of God. Of coming to the scripture, realizing what you have sitting open before your lap or open on your app in your palm of your hand and delighting in it. Not just to read your Bible, but to understand and live out its message. You know, growth in trees occurs when the water and the nutrients are absorbed into the tree. Not just when they're nearby the tree. If you're sitting in church today, you're nearby a lot of nutrients. If you leave your Bible on your nightstand, you are nearby lots and lots of nutrients. That's not the same as absorbing it, is it? It's not the same as taking it into your life and seeing its effect. My prayer this week has been that you move from duty to delight when you see how your soul is fed and how your life is established in the law of God. 
Here's what I know. Some of you come in today and you are delighting in God's word. Like this is just a continuation of an incredible season of worship. And some of you have had extra time. And so you go, man, I've had extra time to, to dive into the word and soak in it and meditate on it. I've actually started some memorizing and this and that. Praise God for that. I pray today is just fanning the flame. I'm just making it even hotter. You're just going to agree. Your spirit's going to be like, yes, when I say stuff today. Others of you say this, man, I have every intention to delight in God's law. I've had seasons in the past where I really delighted in God's law. I had extra time in these last couple weeks. And instead of diving in like I wanted to, like I knew I should, I didn't. And another, like, season has passed. And I didn't take full advantage of what was sitting in front of me. And I know my soul is so thirsty for this. My life is needy for the nutrients of the word, so so feed me. Maybe others of you are actually growing cold to the word. Maybe you just feel like, man, this is one more spin up, and and, and you just don't know if it's true anymore. And you just go, I, I don't know if I buy into that. I don't know if it's worth the effort that I've put into it. I know it's the new year, and I should probably start something. I should pick it back up. But, but truth be told, it just feels like religious energy. It feels like a show. Wherever you are this morning, coming in, hearing this message, what I want to do for you is this. I want to put forth to you some messages that you can build your life on. You can take what I'm saying to the bank because I'm giving you scripture. I want to start this morning while you're fresh, while your listening ears are fresh, and before you sort of trail off and forget to listen... I want to give you what I think is the most important thing I'm going to say this morning, and that is the words of Jesus on fruit-bearing and tree life. Okay? So, while looking at this, I want you to turn to our passage today, which is in John 15. And in John 15, what I want you to see is this. I want to show you a message that is utterly remarkable in how Jesus ties the word, specifically his words... And obedience to those words, and then just some amazing blessed life that Psalm 1 refers to. Blessed is the man who walks, not in the counsel of the wicked, but in the law of the Lord, who delights and meditates on it. Here's Jesus commenting on that in a very agricultural kind of way. John 15, 7 says this. And listen for sort of the conditional clauses, which means this. If you do this then this is going to happen. If this, then that. Listen. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments... You will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. In this passage, we hear about his words, about his commandments, and about what he has spoken into us and why he spoke it into us. 
And there's just some remarkable things when you take stock of this. Ask whatever you wish. Glorify God. Bear fruit. Prove authentic discipleship. Experience complete joy. But there's some if, isn't there? There's a condition to it. It doesn't just fall into your lap magically every day. If I were to do one thing, in fact, I think this morning, maybe, I don't preach all 52 Sundays. But if we have 52 sermons to preach at this church, I think what we regularly do in January might be the most important. Because the one thing that I could do to ensure your health and your wholeness and your fruitfulness and your protection from the enemy and your joy is if you read, understand, and obey the Bible. I mean, if that could happen. Now, again, I can't force that to happen. But if I can do anything to nudge us toward that, that's the best thing the shepherds of your church can do. If you lead a family, the best thing you could give to your family is to train them up in how to connect with God by themselves, on their own. There are some kids who are home from college and they're leaving again. And some of you with young kids, that seems like a really long ways away. But when it happens, what you know is this. Man, God's going to always be with my kids. I'm not. God's going to always give my kids perfect counsel. I'm not. So the one thing, the best thing I could do is to instill in you to meditate and delight in the law of the Lord. The Bible is the first and best counselor. Think about this for a second. Every minute you invest sitting in a sermon, every minute and dollar you invest reading a book or going to a seminar is infinitely or at least exponentially enhanced by your own Bible reading. So if you come and listen to a sermon, you will hear a preacher, hopefully, preaching God's word to you. That will be some Bible intake. But you reading it and studying it and feeding on it yourself throughout the week exponentially enhances the time that you sit in sermons, in seminars, reading books. How about our community groups? Do you think our community groups would grow by leaps and bounds if every single member of our community groups took seriously just the spiritual discipline of Bible intake, and they were feasting and feeding on the word, they were wrestling with it, they were growing in it, and then when they came together, they both delighted in it and said, man, like a great meal. It's like, you guys wouldn't believe yesterday. It was incredible. And then other things that you'd get to and go, I just don't get this, and, and I'm wrestling with this, and it seems to apply, but I'm not sure how. I mean, our community groups would, would grow by leaps and bounds. As you might have guessed, this doesn't just happen. Anything worthwhile has a cost to it, and there is an effort to pursuing God's word. There's an effort to remaining in God's word, isn't there? We have an enemy of our soul that pulls us away. We have the flesh to battle, and we have endless distraction. So let me give you this. Let me give you three things to give relentless attention to. The first is this. Give a relentless attention to reading the Bible. It starts with that. Now, what year is it? 2018. Good job. It's 2018. So hear me. 
You can read your Bible. You have an app, probably, and if you don't, I'll show you where it is, that can read the Bible to you. You may own Google Glasses that project a little holographic image of the Bible being acted out in front of you. Please don't do that while you drive. I don't really care how you get your Bible intake. I don't. Some of you are visual learners. Some of you are auditory learners. Some of you are experiential learners. Get the Bible in you. If you do better by having someone else read it to you, I had a roommate in college. That's how he was allowed to have the Bible read to him because we had mass quantities and he was dyslexic. So he had problems with character recognition. So when I say read your Bible, what I mean is this. Get the Bible in you. Get listening to it. Get around it. Memorize it. Think about it. Meditate on it. If writing it down and, and, and having it posted around is helpful, do that. Don't settle for lip service. I like the idea of reading the Bible long before I actually read the Bible. To this day, I like the idea of being this phenomenal man of prayer more than I like sitting and being a disciplined man of prayer. I like the idea of being an altruistic, amazing servant better than actually going and taking up the towel and serving. So don't settle for the romantic idea of being a woman of the word, a man of the word, Actually read it. Don't settle for the professional Christians to read it for you. Pastors and scholars and missionaries, they better be people of the word. But who cares that they're in the word? You get in the word. And finally, don't settle for past seasons of incredible Bible reading. Past seasons of Bible reading is this. In another season, man, I was all about the word. I studied it and I was in it every day. I led Bible studies. I did this. I did that. That's great. What are you doing today? The relationship that you're trying to nurture, the walk that you're trying to live, doesn't say um, that, that you ask whatever you wish as long as you read the Bible at some point in your life in some other season. In this season, read the Bible. When should you read the Bible? Well, according to the Bible itself, day and night. And if you know the song, and in the in between time. Remember that one? Some of you, some of you, come on, come with me. Some of you, yeah, we got, I got a fist in the air from the back. Now, the best tool that I know of is a reading plan. Here's what I realize. I realize even within my own family, dad can come on kind of heavy about reading plans. So let me just say this. There's a giant grace thing about reading plans. The reason a reading plan works great for me is this. I can trick myself into thinking that I'm doing more than I am. That can happen with physical workout. That can happen with my time. That can certainly happen with my Bible reading. So for me, I am starting, as of January 1st, a reading plan. At the end of this year, I will know definitively that I will have read the Bible. You know why? Because I have a reading plan. I really enjoy checking things off. It's a weird little thing about me. And so I read it, and I go, boop. And it's done. I happen to have invited a friend of mine and just said, hey, do you want to do a reading plan with me? I ask him regularly. So he said, sure. So he and I are going to do this together this year. And there it is. It's done. Some of you get stressed out of your mind with reading plans, don't you? I know you do because that happens in my own family. And so I don't want to lead you to tears. I don't want to put reading plans somehow up here. Um, but I want you to find what works for you. And I want you to read the Bible. Don't settle for good intentions. Jerry Vine said this, an unread Bible 
is food uneaten, <coughs> a love letter never read, a buried sword, a road map unstudied, and gold never mined. Wouldn't it be so great to get to a place in your life where you kind of go like part way through your day and you just, it feels sort of out of whack, like you feel crankier, you feel something's off and you realize, I haven't read the Bible today. Have you ever like not eaten all morning and then part way through the day and then it's like afternoon and you're like snapping, is this just me? You're like snapping at people and you're kind of off and you're like, man, I forgot to eat. <laughs> and so you stop and you eat and it's like the Snickers commercial and you're like a normal person again and all of that. Wouldn't it be incredible if, if your Bible intake was just such a normal thing to you um, that, that without that happening over the course of a day or, or two, you, you just, something feels off and you just feel like you're disconnected and it feels like, you know, it feels like I could have had a V8, like you're walking through life a little bit angled. That gets there when you instill a habit in your life and it becomes something really normal for you. You don't need to turn there, but in Isaiah 5, I just wanted to highlight how long God has called his people to be about his word. In Isaiah 5, you can read it for yourself, but it says this. It's extending woes. The prophet is extending woes. Woe is bad. Whoa! Woe to you. Bad things are coming. Woe to those who party, who are great at drinking games, who pursue pleasure, and who do not regard the Lord. We live in a land of people who are good at those things. It goes on to say that my people go into exile for lack of knowledge. They don't know basic stuff. It says they have rejected the law of the Lord of hosts and have despised the word of the Holy One. The law and the word are being called out as forgotten and despised. So I ask you, what about you? Maybe you haven't abandoned or disregarded God's word in favor of the bar scene, but maybe it's something else. Maybe you're in a sense of exile right now because you lack knowledge. It's sitting right in front of you. And if there were a prophet today calling out, it would say, woe to those who are getting really good at all these things that the world says are uber important, and yet you disregard, in fact, you disdain the words of God on given matters. All these different genres have a sense of creating people who become experts in them. Let me throw a few out at you and guard yourself, because one of these is going to poke you a little bit. Sports, fashion, movies and entertainment, politics, gamers, reality TV shows. I could go on, but I'll stop there. All of these sort of have information around them, don't they? sort of data and knowledge, that you can get really good at knowing these different things. And in the end, it's trivia. It's like shaft that you just blow on it and it goes away. And you're like, man, I'm really well skilled in this. And it doesn't matter. It's all trivia. At the end of 2018, you won't be proud of it or better for it, all this knowledge that you've accumulated in this certain area. 
So instead of letting that be the main course, let that be dessert. It's okay to know about these different things. It is. It's okay to engage and participate in them, possibly. But if those become what you're an expert at, what you're really good at, what you're known for, careful. Because you might get to the end of another year and go, why am I stuck in the same cul-de-sac in this life? It's because I keep studying the same things. I keep excelling in things that don't matter at all. All right, once you give relentless attention to Bible intake, you aren't done. It matters how you read the Bible. Uh, Some people (coughs) see the Bible like I did signs in China. I came to this sign and I said, huh? What does this mean? And then I was thankful because there were some words that came along with it. And I was like, oh, totally. No, still don't get it at all. Not understanding it. Now, any guesses? There it is. No spitting. Once you see it, you're like, oh, I kind of see it. It looks more like vomit to me. But, but um, yeah, I see it. No spitting. Okay, that's a good thing. If you've ever been to China, this is an important sign, isn't it? People spit all the time. You'll have a sweet little lady near you and... She just hawking. We're like, wow, totally acceptable. Part of why you remove your shoes when you go into a home in China, because you've been walking on these sidewalks that just have, yeah, it's not pretty. You travel almost anywhere in the world. You come back to the States. You realize you could eat your breakfast off of our sidewalks. And, and you just go, man, I'd be, I'd be content with that. That's actually cleaner than what I was doing in other countries. So give relentless attention to interpreting the Bible. First and foremost, give attention to reading the Bible yourself. Close second is give careful, relentless attention to interpreting the Bible. In just a second, I'm going to give you a memory tool that's going to kind of um, help you uh, understand how to interpret the Bible. But let me quickly say this. There's many ways to read the Bible. Let's go back to messages that we live our life by. We can read the Bible to back up my message. I want to live a certain way. I want to do a certain thing. So let's see if there are some scripture verses in here that back up my message. That's a tempting way to read the Bible, and people do it all the time. Another way to do the Bible, read the Bible, is this. I really like this message that someone else gave to me that I heard over here. I'm going to read the Bible to find things that I can pile up to sort of prop that message up and hold it up. Or conversely, I really despise this message that this person is saying, and I'm going to find scriptures that tear that down and refute that message. Let me give you a third way. The third way to read the Bible is to be utterly convinced that God has a message and that you are there to discover the Bible's message. Three different ways of of messaging, right? Back up my message, support another's message, or tear down another's message, discover the message. So kind of think about that as you read the Bible. It's not enough just to read the Bible. If someone, if you move away and you say, Dave, I'm going to a great Bible church, I say, how do you know it's a Bible church? It's in the name. That's a great start. If you're going to put Bible in the name of the church, that's a really good place to start, especially in Silicon Valley. Like, that's that's a turnoff to a lot of people. They'll just be like, what? But that's not enough. How do you know it's a Bible church? Well, they, they have Bibles in the back of their chairs. Awesome. Good stuff. We do too. 
They, they open their Bible. They, they preach from it. What does it mean that they preach from it? Haven't you ever been to a sermon where a scripture verse was read? And then whoever was up front went off talking about whatever they wanted to. And you kept going, this is either an ingenious sermon that's going to loop back to the scripture and just give me something, or we are just off in la-la land right now. That's an infuriating sermon to be in. I've been in many of those before. And I pray, God, keep me grounded in a text. Keep me talking where I should be talking and help me actually feed people the Bible. So, different ways to get at messages. Here's the key. We discover the message. We don't determine the message. That's worth writing down. I didn't come up with it. Someone else did. We discover the message of the Bible. We don't determine the message of the Bible. Here's what you should never hear from your community group leader. Community group leaders, listen up. We've covered this, but I'll say it loud and clear. We should never sit in a circle, open up the Bible, read the text, and say, now what does that mean to you? What does that mean to you indicates that you and your life circumstance are going to provide the meaning of the text. That is an action that says, I am determining the message of the Bible. That means the Bible does this. I mean, it just, it goes wherever your emotions go that week. It goes wherever your circumstances go that week. We are opening the Bible to discover a message that is already there. Now, in different seasons of life, does it speak different things to you? Absolutely. That's why this year I'm utterly convinced I will discover things, delight in things, and be confused by things I've never seen before. Even though I've read the Bible many times. I love that. That's part of it being a living and active word. But we discover meaning, we don't determine the meaning. This is so important because this is the source of individuals and churches losing their way. When true north is neither true nor necessarily north, people lose their way. And they come up with all sorts of different crazy things. Do you know that if you're a Christian today, you are an ambassador? You're an ambassador for the Most High King. Think about an ambassador on an earthly level for a second. Isn't it important as an ambassador to understand some basic things about the regime, the king, the president, the country that they represent? An ambassador needs to know what we just read in Exodus chapter 6 verse 7 about the character of God. As an ambassador, you can know the basic message of the Bible because it's discoverable. God's put it there for us. Thought it was so important, he put it in writing. Here's what's amazing. You read the Bible this year, here's what's going to happen. Not only will reading the Bible provide answers to life's questions, but it will also provide you insight with the questions people around you are asking about life. You read the Bible, you will find the answers for life's questions. The Bible is not primarily an answer book. 
But over and over and over again, as you read God's word, you will be blown away at the wisdom that pours out of it. Not only for your life, but in other people's lives. But it will also give you insight into people's souls. The kinds of things they're asking. The kinds of things they're wrestling with. Because that's what the Bible provides. Now you already do really great interpretation because your life depends on it. Who knows what clickbait is? Clickbait. Give me a quick definition of clickbait. Uh, ben Austin. Right. It gives some, you know, headline. You're like, ooh, and you got to click that. And then what happens when you, like, what, what, what determines it as clickbait versus something else? You click on it, and then what happens? Yeah, there's a little bit of a letdown, right? Now, here's what's amazing. Over time, we should just never go after clickbait, right? But why do we still do it? Because it could be something Life-changing, like it's flashing and saying that it is. Um, before clickbait, there was something called the U.S. Mail. And in the U.S. Mail, I would get periodically, I would get a thing that would say, David Carlson, you have won one million dollars. And the first time, I was probably like, spelling error, woohoo! And I opened it up, and it ended up in the garbage. The next time I got something for David Carlson, you know what I did with that? I took it and I threw it away. So all the time in your life, you are, you are interpreting things. You're considering the source, right? You're cross-referencing. You're remembering past experience. You're using a basic, you know, logic and reason that God's gifted you. You're understanding words. You're understanding the timing of things. You're taking the testimony of other people. Life depends on good interpretation. So you're already incredibly skilled at interpreting uh, some things. Your brain is at work all the time with this. Look at 2 Corinthians 11 on the screen for a second. Paul writes, but I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted. Just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent, you happily put up with whatever anyone tells you, even if they preach a different Jesus than the one we preach. Or a different kind of spirit than the one you received. Or a different kind of gospel than the one you believe. These people are false prophets. They are deceitful workers who disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. The messages we live by are incredibly important. Much damage has been done because people are duped by the fact, well, I go to a Bible church. That must have been true. The person said he was teaching the words of Jesus. I don't have time to cross-reference that. I don't know the word well enough to know if he's telling the truth. He duped me. Lord, it was this woman. She gave me the apple. Do you hear the parallel? How do you know if you are happily putting up with false teaching? Do you think false teachers have big, scary fangs and, you know, fire that shoots out their ears or a giant thing that says, false? No. They're probably very winsome. That's why they've gained such a following. They're probably appealing and well-spoken. Jesus calls out false teachers by calling them twice the son of hell. Paul rebukes them sharply, and in Titus, he tells them to shut them up, silence 
the false teachers. Different gospels, strange Jesuses. Deceivers are all over the place today. We're to sound the alarm. We're to know what that sounds like. So let me ask you a question. Are you capable of understanding if someone's interpreting the Bible well or not? I won't ask you to write a number, but 1 to 10, how confident are you when someone says something? Do you go, I have a general sense that's true or not true? Can you spot a counterfeit? Do you know what's real? Let me show you a couple of things. Um, a five-inch fishing lure with three steel hooks cautions users that it is harmful if swallowed. Um, there's a warning label found on a 12-inch high CD storage rack. I know that's an archaic thing now. And the caution is, caution, do not use as a ladder. Here's another one. There's a label on a snow sled that's very adamant. Beware, sled may develop high speed under certain snow conditions. And finally, a warning label found on a bottle of drain cleaner that says this. If you do not understand or cannot read all directions, cautions, and warnings, do not use this product. Why are we laughing? Why are these silly to us? Because they're obvious. The warning signs are super obvious. You know who they're not obvious to? Children. Young children or inexperienced people who've never seen this product before and aren't familiar with the inner workings of it would have no idea about some of these things. So Christian, grow up. All of us. Let's leave childish ways behind so that when empty talkers come into our life, come into the lives of our loved ones, come into our church, we are able to silence them. We are able to sound the alarm and say, that is not true. And I can say that with utter confidence because I know this. I've interpreted this and I can warn others. Write the word stop for a moment on your sheet. S-T-O-P. It's a little acronym that I found more memorable than what I've given to you in the past. And so I'm going to borrow it from Frank Turek. He's an apologist. And while what I gave you was more thorough, this is far more memorable and I hope more helpful for you. So here it is. Stop to interpret the Bible. The S stands for the situation. The situation refers to context. Context literally means with the text. Read what you're reading in line with the text. Sometimes we do things with the Bible we wouldn't do with any other kinds of literature. You don't pick up a newspaper or some blog article and read one sentence and think you understand what it means. You read it in context so that you can have a sense of what is it actually talking about. One apologist says, don't ever read a Bible verse. How's that for clickbait? It worked because I clicked on it. Don't ever read a Bible verse. His point, don't ever read just one Bible verse. Read around it. So there's immediate context. The first, you know, the sentences, two or three sentences right before what you're trying to get the meaning of, and the sentences right behind it. But then there's the broader context. What's the paragraph? What's the chapter talking about? Chapters and verses are arbitrary addresses that were put on, I think, in the 1600s. They're not real. They're not there. They're not inspired. So read the flow of the idea and go, okay, this is why this sounded off to me. Now I'm starting to get an idea of what it's talking about because I understand the context. Words change by the situation. 
If I'm speaking about a trunk, what am I talking about? A case? Maybe. The nose of an elephant? Perhaps. Space in a car? Not if I'm in England. Uh, or they call it something else, the boot, is that right? So you have to get more context. What are you talking about with that one word? Well, you have to understand kind of what's going on. Words change over time. Word meanings change over time. So that's why there's some digging and some work that has to go on. And then different words have similar or same meanings. If you go up to someone and they say, how are you doing? And they say, I'm fine. And then five seconds later, they tell someone else, I'm good. Are they being hypocritical? No, they're just using different words that mean the same thing. So you have to get into what's being talked about to understand what's happening. All right, how about T? T stands for type. What type of literature is being written? Do you know the Bible is 66 books crammed in? It's like a library. So you have narrative. A narrative portion of scripture is simply retelling historical events that are going on. There's whole swaths of law in the Bible. Laws are set up as legal regulations that address moral, civil, or religious duties. Laws exist to maintain order, avoid harm, promote well-being. So narrative and law are very different kinds of reading. How about poetry and the wisdom literature? When you're reading poetry and you hear different things, you interpret that, you filter that, and say, well, that wasn't precise, accurate language. Well, of course not. I'm speaking in hyperbole. I've preached the gospel to all the world. doesn't make the person a liar. It means he's using hyperbole. There's whole poetic sections of scripture that are highly stylized and emotive literature. We need to be aware of that. Finally, the Gospels in the New Testament are a, a, a recounting of the life of Jesus. They're telling the good news. Even within that, you have to look, is Jesus telling an actual account or is he doing what he often does and he tells a story? Read around the, the text and you'll understand. Jesus told them a parable to illustrate this point. Well, it's a story. Outside of stories and, and the Gospels um, are a whole bunch of letters that provide instruction and direction for church and for life. You could go on with prophecy and apocalyptic and all kinds of stuff, but to understand where and what you're reading is massively important. We do the same thing today. We're clicking on an article and we read it. We consider the source. I don't even know if National Enquirer is still a thing, but if National Enquirer, you know, is reporting something and something else is reporting something. I mean, you ever heard of fake news? I mean, that's a little bit of a big topic of conversation these days. So people right now are trying to do that. They're trying to figure out and consider the source and expose when they're lying and all kinds of stuff. We're doing this all the time. Here's what the O stands for. The O stands for the object. The object simply is asking this question. Is this talking about me or someone from 2,600 years ago in the Middle East? What is the object of this thing written? <clears throat> Sometimes it is very specific in the scriptures. It says, this is for you and all who will believe because of you. You know what's really powerful about the scripture? That means that that verse is talking directly about me. Because I can trace my lineage of belief back to the disciples. That's who God entrusted the story of the gospel to. But there are other things that, while still instructive for us, right? These things have been written so you can be warned, so you can be educated, so you can understand the character of God. But it doesn't apply directly to me. 
So that's why we have to be careful when we lift certain things out, we embroider them and we hang them on our wall, and then someone with a little bit of context knowledge comes and says, I don't know if you want that hanging on your wall. That's not what that verse is talking about. It sounds really good, but you got to get the rest of it. And and the rest of it changes the meaning of it a whole bunch. So that's the object. Uh, Finally, the P is for prescription. There is much in the Bible that is describing stuff that God doesn't think is a great idea. The Bible's not shy about telling the truth. But just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean you should do it. It's descriptive. It's telling you what went on. Other places in the scripture are quite clearly prescriptive. If you remain in my words and remain in my love, this is what's going to happen. That's a prescriptive type of statement. All right. Are there other situations where you'll need more tools? Absolutely. But this little acronym is really handy. That's going to that's gonna hit about 80% of what you need help interpreting and trying to figure out. And so that's the thing. Um, Look at the screen for a second. The main things are the plain things, and the plain things are the main things. Here's what that means. Don't get tripped up by all the little side details. The Bible's a massive, massive book. Don't get tripped up with some of the side things. If it is plain in Scripture and God has spoken plainly about it, it is a main thing. You will hear me regularly preach about the gospel in here. You know why? Because that is a main thing of the scripture, and God has not left us confused about what saves. We're going to get to this in Romans 12 through 14. There are side issues. People love to fight about side issues, don't they? Food fights and regulation fights and date fights and volume of music fights and... All kinds of nonsense side things. Should you study them? Are they in the book for a reason? Absolutely. But keep the main things, the main things. Here's how goofy this gets. Watch the screen for a second. With a simple phrase and a little bit of context changing, uh, you could read that the main things are the plain things and the plain things are the main things and think suddenly that you're supposed to catch a flight to Maine on Lion Air or something, or invest in an airline called Lion, you know, whatever, and you just get the wrong message. And you would look at that as a rational thinking human being and go, that's not what the pastor was talking about. That's nonsense. But this is the battle sometimes people come and say, well, that's your opinion. Yeah, but it's right. And here's how I know it's right, because I've used my brain, and I've used all these other tools, and I can walk forward with confidence that I know what he was talking about, because because of these other factors that are there. Mark Twain says this, I don't have a problem with the parts of the Bible I can't understand, but with the parts I can understand. People do not reject the Bible because it contradicts itself. People reject the Bible because it contradicts them. That's what makes it so distasteful and uncomfortable sometimes to read the Bible. Finally, give relentless attention to obeying the Bible. Do you see that these build on each other? Do you know what the most important one is that I'm going to talk about this morning? It's this one. The most important thing I'm going to say is that you obey it, because that's back to Jesus' words, that you remain in my words. That you obey my commandments. That's how you prove you love me. But they build on each other because you can't obey a poorly interpreted message. 
you're in sin if you are obeying the wrong message. And you can't get at the message if you don't read in the first place. So you've got to read, and you've got to interpret well, and then you actually have to do it. Once you read it and interpret it, you'll know how to live. You will be established like a tree by a river if you keep on walking in the ways that you learn. Don't you wish life was just, all you have to do is know it, and then it comes true? Man, I wish that's how it was. I know a lot of stuff. I wish I could just go, there we go, I know it. My work is done. That's not how it is. Just listen to James 1.21. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Pretty important stuff. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer of the word, he's like a man who looks intently, there's that idea, at his natural face in the mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks at the, into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Let me say this, that you will be helped by your church in the following ways. I love that you've chosen to start January off in church, sitting in church. Just like Bible time, it's not always easy, it's not always convenient, it's not always fun. Woohoo! But it's profitable. It's profitable to be here. Let me tell you what your church does to help instill this. Each Sunday, you're going to be fed from the Bible. Our bread and butter, the most normal thing we do is to teach through a book of the Bible. That's done for a variety of reasons. One is this. It actually is a teaching tool for you to understand how to read the thoughts of a, of a whole book and how to find the, the, the woven themes yourself. So as we teach through Romans, which we'll pick up again next week, we are, we are working our way through what God has seen fit to establish for all eternity, and that is the Word of God. The other thing that teaching through a book of the Bible does is it takes topics and ideas that are foul to me, that are confusing to me, that I would never talk about on my own, and it shoves them in my face so that I have to study them and I have to feed you the whole counsel of the Word of God. If you want to get militant about preaching through the Bible as the only way, you won't find a friend in me. I'm not going to jump on that bandwagon. We reserve every right to go and do topical series and different things. But you will be fed the Bible when you come to our church. Secondly, each week, community groups are there to fellowship around the word. If you take the fellowship away from a community group, it's not doing what it's intended to do. If you take the word away from a community group, it's not doing what it's intended to do. I can't force you to obey the Bible, but community groups can play an important part of your walk. It immediately, and in a very tangible way, helps you practice the one another's found in Scripture. One of the most biblical ways you can do that is to practice them on the household of faith. That is your churchmates. One of the most practical ways you can do that is to budget an hour and a half of your time in the middle of the week to say, I'm going to show up and I'm going to be face-to-face with another brother and I'm going to instill the one another's that the Bible's calling me to obey. Thirdly, we're going to sing each and every week. And the songs that we choose are intentional. 
The songs that we sing, Ben already did this, unplanned. Sometimes you will be singing scripture unbeknownst to you. You will read your Bible later on that Thursday and you'll go, Egads, which is an ancient term of wow. Egads, this is what we sang on Sunday. Do what I do in my Bible. I circle that and I write a song title next to it. It's just kind of cool to flip through your Bible years later and go, man, we just sing a lot of scripture. You know why we do that? We do that because we want you humming truth throughout your week. And there's something about music that just cuts through everything and gets right to your soul sometimes. So each week we're going to feed you the word. Each week we're going to provide community groups. And each week we're going to sing as a Christian community these truths back to God. I close with something I say at most weddings I do, and that is this. There's probably nothing easier to do than to say marriage vows and understand the meaning of the words of marriage vows. There's probably nothing harder in life than to live those vows out well on into eternity. In some ways, there's nothing easier than reading the scriptures. There's so many tools and helps available to you to understand the words and meaning of what's being talked about in the scriptures that that's not even the challenging part. The challenging part is to take the hand of God and abide with him. Keep living out what you are vowing and what you are reading in the scripture. Do you close your eyes for a second? God, as we close with song, we are Christians, and so we sing of your grace and glory. We are moved, we are prompted to offer words back to you, God, that we can't even just write down in a stoic way. It bursts forth from our life. And so even right now as we sing, God, I pray that we would live out what we've already sung, that we would become the songs we sing. They wouldn't be empty words where our hearts are far from you, but they would be uh, living vows that we walk out of this room and bear out in our lives. Jesus' name.